Hey folks, Grant here. We wanted to give you something a little special this Christmas season. Christmas is a peculiar time of year if you think about it. Uh, my church, at least, spends all the days from December 1st to December 24th celebrating Advent, looking forward to Christmas, anticipating Christmas. But Christmas itself is really a day of looking back and remembering. At least it is for us. It really, it has been for the church throughout its history, celebrating the birth of Christ, remembering the birth of Christ, reliving that Christmas story. And these days, we think back to all the Christmases we've had. I was thinking about that this year, and that got me remembering a Christmas tradition at the church I grew up in, where Reverend Bob Lawrence would give a very special sermon on Christmas Day. Bob Lawrence's Christmas sermons were fairly famous in the church because they were at once unusual and yet not at all out of character for him. Uh, Bob Lawrence, I don't remember much of him to be frank, but he was a wise older man, jolly and jovial and a delight to be around. I distinctly remember that. And every Christmas day, he'd get up into the pulpit and the sermon he would give wasn't the normal sort of sermon. It was, in a sense, role-playing or at least acting. He'd get up there and tell the Christmas story again, but never from the perspective of the authors of the Gospels, always from the perspectives of a bit character in that Christmas story. Maybe it wasn't even a real character mentioned in the Gospels. Maybe it was someone that tradition has invented and put there, or that we can assume would have been there knowing what we know about historical Judea of that time. Or maybe someone we can invent because it seems right that they were there. And he'd tell the Christmas story from their perspective and always come at it in a different way, revisiting the truths that we know and putting them into a new perspective, really in the same way that we try and encourage people to use role-playing games, uh, if I can dare to make that sort of comparison. So, for Christmas this year, I wanted to give you one of those sermons. And this is a special one, not because I remember it, Quite the opposite, it's because this is the sermon that was given in 1983, Christmas 1983, the day I was baptized. It's called The Centurion. Listen to Bob Lawrence's words, listen to the Word of God read beforehand, and enjoy. And Merry Christmas from all of us. The first lesson is found in the ninth chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, beginning to read with verse 2. Listen for the Word of God. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee as with joy at the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The second lesson is in the Gospel according to Luke, beginning to read in chapter 2 with verse 1. Listen for the word of God. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. May the Lord bless in our hearts the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If I never believed in Santa Claus before, I believed it very early this morning, when the telephone rang quite early and our sexton, Charles, told us the furnace had quit. That wasn't when I believed in Santa Claus, that's when I was ready to give it up. But then we called up Johnson Controls, and to our astonishment, they sent a man out right away and the furnace is getting warmer. You may not notice it yet, but eventually you will. And what really made a believer out of me was, when down in the basement, was this man in an orange coat. I thought it should have been red, but it was orange, actually. Merrily putting the furnace back together and singing Christmas carols to himself. Certainly, the Christmas thing has to be real to get out of bed on Christmas morning to fix somebody else's furnace. We thank God for that man. So, it's not hard to imagine Christmas. I want you to imagine things now. Easy to imagine Bethlehem, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus was proclaimed emperor of all the world. The peace of that world was placed in the hands of tough Roman soldiers composed of what are called legions. There were 25 Roman legions when Jesus was born. Unlike the Praetorian Guard that was always based around Rome, the legions were the real sharp troops of the Roman army. They were stationed the length of the empire. They were composed of some 5,500 men. Of the two Roman legions based in that part of the world where Jesus was born, actually based in Syria, one of them was called Gallica III. It served with distinction in that region for almost 300 years. Like every other Roman legion, Gallica III was broken down into 10 smaller units called cohorts, and each cohort was broken down into six smaller units called centuries, which were commanded by a remarkable corps of officers known as centurions. 
the backbone of the Roman army. It must have been the dream of every soldier to one day become a centurion, but not many achieved it. And it must have been the dream of every officer that was a centurion to become centurion primus pilus and attached to the first cohort of his legion. Only those of exceptional ability ever earned that rank, however. Today we think of one who did. His name is Gaius Longinus, centurion primus pilus of the first cohort, Gallica III. He was stationed in Bethlehem when Christ was born and inadvertently caught up in the story. But today when we meet him, forty years has passed since Bethlehem. He is old now and retired, living in a small house on the Syrian coast overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. He seems smaller than his six-foot frame, being bent with age and battle wounds, but his eyes are as clear as the eagles who is inscribed on the standard of his former legion. He lives alone except for this faithful Aquila, an old comrade-at-arms who acts now as his servant. If you look on Christmas Day, you can see him standing at the door of his house, watching as three strangers approach him up the rutted road that leads to his door. When they draw near, panting slightly from the climb, Gaius says, Look, Aquila, they are coming here. Good, come in, come in, strangers, you are welcome. My house is yours. What brings you here on such a bitter afternoon? We are glad to see you, regardless of the reason. For we get tired of each other's company, Aquila and I, and few come this way now, even in summer and in winter, never. Sit down, strangers, and Aquila will fetch water for your feet. Warm water, Aquila. There, that's better. And look, here is wine and bread, cheese, and, ah, yes, dried dates from Egypt. From the looks of you, you have come far. Well, now, let me see. Why can you possibly seek me? I am retired, and... Forgive me, and I said we have few visitors now, and when they come I tend to rattle off a thousand questions without waiting for a single answer. Let us begin again. Welcome. I am Gaius Longinus, Centurion, formerly with Gallica, third of His Majesty's Legion, at your service. And you are Luke, the physician. By Jupiter, I trust you did not come all this way to scribe for me. Though I am old enough for a doctor, I am quite well, thank you. Your smile assures me this is not a medical visit. Good. And you, sir, are... Saul, of the city of Tarsus, a Roman citizen. Interesting. Do you come to me as a Roman or a Jew? Neither. Good again. And you, my young friend, John Mark, you say. Well, from the looks of you, you are fit enough to become a soldier in Gallica Third. Ah, perhaps that is why you have come to ask me how to become... No? Well, there I go again. You tell me. Hmm. Let me understand you quite clearly, physician. You have urgent reasons for quoting an orderly account of certain events that happened in Bethlehem during the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That troubles me, for I have every reason for trying to forget it. But obviously you know I was there, or you would not be here now, and perhaps it is time to tell the story. Time to share my memories of... Well, you know what sort of memories they must be. The massacre of babies is not the kind of memory a soldier likes to keep. So I give them to you with a prayer to the gods that you will take them away with you. So, have more wine, and I will tell you what I have kept buried deep inside for over forty years now. I had been stationed in Bethlehem for about six months as centurion in charge of security. We were often assigned to such duty, and as exactor tributorum. If the Latin is not known to you, it means tax collector. Not the most popular duty, I assure you. But for six months, the work was easy. People came for the census during the summer and fall in dribbles. It was easy to register them. I had a room at the inn and was quite comfortable, spending most of the days shooting dice with my comrades in the century and drinking wine. But as winter came, 
and the men had laid by their crops and most other occupations were grinding to a halt, the crowds picked up. Until one hellish day, it seemed that every Jew decreed by law to register in Bethlehem showed up at once. I was in my room at the time, asleep, when Aquila knocked at the door and said, There is trouble brewing. So I strapped on my armor, my sword, and pulled on my helmet and went to see for myself. There was sudden chaos. People pushing, shoving, cursing, trying to get a room. Several men actually got into fights and had to be separated by my soldiers. The innkeeper, I forgot his name, did what he could, but it was no use. People pitched tents in the alleys. They were piled up on the roofs of houses, cursing. One even threw a stone at one of my men. It was an ugly crowd, the kind that any zealot with a silver tongue could turn into a howling mob in an instant. I assembled my century, divided them up into patrols assigned to every street corner and alley, and a special unit at the end where the trouble seemed to start. Every hour I would mount my white stallion and ride at a gallop up and down the street, checking my patrols. I had learned long since that there is nothing like a Roman officer on a galloping horse to keep a crowd calm. By late afternoon, as the gods would have it, a bitterly cold wind came sweeping out of the desert. You know how suddenly it happens here. And that cold blast did more than all my soldiers to settle things down in Bethlehem. People seemed to vanish as they sought shelter anywhere they could. By dark, all was quiet, except in the inn, where the people were still rowdy and noisy, but with ten legion soldiers with me, there was little danger of trouble anymore. I always stabled my own horse, and since it was dark and very cold, I walked across the main room of the inn toward the innkeeper to get a torch or a lantern to guide me down the steep path to the stable out back. The innkeeper was talking intently to a man who was very excited. The man was older, I think, covered with dust from long travel and most unhappy with the innkeeper. They kept speaking when I approached. Since they were using the Aramaic dialect, they assumed I could not understand them. The same arrangement gained me many secrets in Bethlehem, for I spoke Aramaic fluently. The innkeeper was trying to calm the man. Shalom, he said, shalom. It will be all right. It is quiet there and warm. It will be private, for no one else is there, especially no drunken Roman dogs to stare at your wife. What a stable, the man shouted. You ask me to send my wife to a stable to have her child? For the first time, I saw the woman beside him, bent over with pain and clutching at the man's sleeve. It will be all right, Joseph, she said. Anywhere will do now. I will be fine. I had no intention of interfering in someone else's problems. I had enough of my own. But before I realized it, I stepped between the innkeeper and the man, snatched up a lantern from the table, and said, in perfect Aramaic, Follow me. I know the way. And you, I snapped at the innkeeper, send your wife to fetch the midwife and be quick about it. The path to the stable was steep and rocky, so we moved slowly, the woman leaning heavily on her husband. Have you come far? I asked. From Nazareth, he answered. I must register here, for I am descended from David, who was born here. Heh, I jested. Don't let Herod hear that. He'll have your head just for being kin to a king, even one as long dead as your David. He smiled politely at my poor jest. The stable was as the innkeeper had described, surprisingly warm and very quiet. The noise from the inn faded away. I helped the man gather straw, and we made the woman a bed. Then I swept off the stone manger with the pilus on my helmet and placed straw there. You can put the child there. It will be above the filth of the stable floor. The midwife came in, and I left quickly. Birthing a baby was not among my talents. I went to the front of the inn, took one last gallop through the now quiet street, and returned to the stable, entering by the door at the other end from where the mother was. Before I finished brushing and feeding the stallion, I heard the muffled cry of a child. I crossed to where the family was, feeling very pleased with myself for some reason. The child was a boy. His mother wrapped him in cloths and with effort stood up to put him in the manger. 
How strange to see a baby there. And the midwife, she was pale as death. She grasped my arm and whispered, It's a miracle. I would not believe it if I had not seen it. Then she was gone. I don't know what she saw. Perhaps you, physician, can tell me? I, I don't know why. But I decided to stay there for a while, as if somehow I was standing guard, protecting that Jewish baby. It was strange, but like a faithless sentry, I soon fell asleep. That's when the sound wakened me. I know not what else to call it. A sound, far away, like strange music. I walked to the door and peered out. The sky was unbelievably bright, luminous, you could say, and it made the ground shine like silver. Across the fields I saw the light of a shepherd's lantern bobbing up and down, as if the one carrying it was running, and shortly a band of shepherds came up, whispering to each other. They didn't seem to see me, as they pushed through the door and began talking in low voices to the mother. How could they possibly have known? I don't know. They left a few minutes later, and began chanting one of the songs Jews sing in the temple. But here my memory fails me. I cannot remember if it was the same night or another, but I went to my room in the inn and slept. I felt slightly ill, as if I had a fever. I have some vague recollections that, while I slept, other visitors came to the stable. Strange men from Persia, I heard. But they didn't stay the night. The thing I remember next was a loud knocking at the door. When I opened it, there stood another centurion, a friend of mine who was attached to Herod's palace in Jerusalem. It was still dark, but I could still read the anger on my friend's face. Herod had ordered every male child in Bethlehem killed, every child under two. Why, I demanded to know. He fears a pretender, my friend replied angrily, for he hated Herod as much as I. We have been ordered by Quirinius to assist and see that his orders are carried out beginning at dawn. I do not know if it was my intense hatred for Herod, or my disgust at my having to be involved with his soldiers in carrying out such a dreadful order, but I decided, for the first time, that I would disobey a direct order. At least, I would bend it. The order was signed by Quirinius himself, the governor of Syria, but it did state the massacre was to begin at dawn. It did not say what to do before dawn. And before I had actually reasoned out what I would do, my legs had already carried me down the stairs, half-dressed, down the rocky path, running into the stables, for the man was sleeping. His name was Joseph, I think. I shook him awake and told him, You must leave, I said. Herod wants your child dead. Without a word, he seemed to understand. He dressed, waked his wife, began to load the donkey. They had so few possessions, they were so poor. I helped them. Then I was growing impatient, for dawn was growing close, and I said, you must flee, as far as Egypt, maybe. You must get out of Herod's territory. I opened the door, and I said, Go! The man led the donkey past, and he stopped and turned to me and said, I think you are sent by God. Shalom. Thank you, brother. Then he took my hand, and he pressed something hard into the palm, and he was gone. I watched them until they were out of sight. Then I opened my hand. It was a gold coin. Now where do you suppose a peasant got a gold coin? I never knew. By then it was dawn, and I became an obedient soldier again. I still dream, the little faces, I still hear the weeping mothers of Bethlehem. It was the only time in my career I was ashamed to be a Roman soldier. And the only thing that has kept me sane for forty years is this golden coin. See, I still wear it around my neck. But here my story ends. I don't know what happened to the child. Did some other soldiers kill him? Did they die from cold? Or perhaps he grew up to be fat and greedy as a merchant in Egypt. I have never known. Wait a minute. You know, don't you? That is why you are here. 
you know the end of the story, and you have come to me for the beginning. I see by your smiles I'm right. It's late, strangers. Have more wine and tell me, for you know the end. I know only the beginning, and unless I know how the story ends, the beginning makes no sense at all, does it? Let us pray. O God, who came into the world of deep darkness, violence, and cruelty, and endured it all for our sakes, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and for spending a little time with us this Christmas. We'd particularly like to thank Fourth Presbyterian Church of Greenville, South Carolina, for giving us permission to use these sermons on our podcast and share them with you a whole. Thanks as well to Bob Lawrence, and may he rest easily with our Father in Heaven, as labors here ceased at last. We also want to thank Andrew Rimillard, whose performances of Green Sleeves and Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence we were able to use with his permission. You can find links to his performances in our show notes, and for performances of more than 2,000 other hymns, visit his website, andrewrimillard.com, or his YouTube channel. From all of us here at Saving the Game, go out into the world in peace. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi, and the peace of Christ. God bless, and Merry Christmas.